You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. Today, we're talking miracles. Drew, what did the people say watching people doing a miracle? What'd they say? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. That's, I, I think that is what they said. Pastor Drew Tarwater, thank you for joining us today. Pastor Darren Enns, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Hey, Pastor Darren, what did the people say when uh, they watched Jesus do a miracle? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> it was so nice. I tried it twice. He'll be so, here all week. Oh, man. That, it was worth tuning in just for that. So, <laughs> Pastor Drew, uh, can you recap what you talked about last week? Yeah, we're in the book of John looking at the miracles that John gives us. And best we can tell in um, the Gospels, there's 37 to 40 miracles of Jesus. But John just gives, a, just gives us seven. And what's interesting about these seven is they're referred to as signs or road signs uh, that are pointing to Jesus and what he came to do, who he is, and his march from beginning his ministry to the cross. There's been some debate about these seven miracles to see, you know, are they in chronological order or did John put them in a particular order to teach us something about Jesus? You know, we we, we estimate Jesus that was um, doing his ministry for about three years. And so, you know, were these miracles in order or does John put them in this order to help us to see who Jesus is as he, you know, begins by changing water into wine, kind of an introduction to, you know, him telling the world that he's someone special, that he came to, to make things right. And then you start to see this really interesting progression. So he heals an official son, uh, a royal official son, then he heals a paralytic man at a pool. Then what we talked about Sunday was Jesus feeding um, the 5,000 men, which we think was about 20,000 when when women, men, and children. Um, and then interesting in that same story, we see that Jesus walks on water, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but then Jesus heals a man born blind uh, to teach something about, about sin and uh, to teach something about God's favor and blessings. Um, and then we see that he finishes the, 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 the last miracle is in John 11 with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so we see these things as kind of road signs pointing to different truths about Jesus and, and what he came to do. And so it's really interesting to, to look at John and, and see the miracles as these kind of road signs pointing towards the cross and the empty tomb. Uh, but this week we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000 with uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. Or as we joked, five Hawaiian rolls and two fish sticks. Um, but there's just so much beauty that you can unpack from just this miracle uh, that ties in, especially with, with some of the imagery we have in the Old Testament of God and his manna and those sorts of things. So one of my thoughts is when you read like John 6 here, like we're kind of looking at it 2,000 years later with the benefit of uh, addresses in the book, like, you know, the chapters and verses. When they were, they were, 
this might be more for Darren, but as it was being read, you know, you know, almost 2000 years ago, as this was written to the churches, like how would they read this differently as we are? Cause we're breaking it up because we have chapters and verses and they're reading it in one as one story. Yeah. When, when they added the verses, it was like in the somewhere between 500, 500 and a thousand AD. Um, so like in, in the early medieval period. And so sometimes when we see like the great big number six in John chapter six, our brain just kind of chops it off um, and, and says, oh, this is a new section. It's a new story. And a lot of times like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a new section of the story or it's, or it's a, a, a new part. But then our Bibles sometimes go even further and put in little subtitles in all these chapters. When, when you hear it originally without all of that, um, it flows as one story. Um, there are some Bible editions actually that are trying to get back to that. Uh, if you if you have or if you go out and buy a reader's Bible, it will remove all of those chapter markers or, or verse markers at least and just put it in paragraph form. Uh, and it's hmm. m- much more like a book. And it's kind of an interesting to read it that way because you, you do kind of lose yourself in, in the story a bit easier that way. Whereas if you're reading the NASB, which is meant for, for scholarly study, um, it, you, it's it's line by line, verse by verse. There are zero paragraphs and zero uh, labels, at least in the edition that I have. So it's just kind of interesting then to try and take take that out and remove it and read it more as a cohesive story. And so we were talking about, um, like Drew Drew was talking about these these stories that are all right in a row. Um, I, I asked the question earlier this morning. We were just talking about this, and I'm like, hang on, why why is the story of Jesus walking on the water? Stuck in stuck after the feeding of the five thousand, where there's bread and fish involved, and then later in verse twenty five, uh, in twenty six, Jesus says that he's the bread of life, uh, and I'm like, what? Okay, there's some relationship because that walking on the water is sandwiched between these two stories about bread, and it and being the Bible scholars that we are, we hopped on Google and <laughs> looked for some <laughs> answers. Um, and there was one that was that was really You're giving away all our we, secrets, Darren. I know. <laughs> we, we did not get on gotquestions.org. Uh, uh, don't don't go there. <laughs> no, but it is interesting, you know, as Darren, as you as you dive into this. But you know, when you think of a story and you think of okay, Jesus, he he feeds these five thousand and he's revealing something, right? You know, there's this picture of Jesus supplying our needs, and then he. The next day, he has this big discussion with people who come back and this huge crowd, 20,000 people find him. They row across the water to find Jesus and they, they come and many scholars say that they're coming again because they want him to feed him again. And so they're following Jesus for what he can give for him, you know, keeping their stomachs full. Um, and that's when he says, no, I'm the bread of life. But yeah, in the middle is this interesting story of Jesus walking on the water. Like, what's that all about? And he said, he's said this kind of thing before. Remember the woman at the well? Uh, Jesus was like, hey, give me some water. And then, and then he said, actually, if you want this water, woman, like, I will give you water that, that you'll never thirst again. And here, it's, it's bread that you will never hunger again. So, he, he, yeah, he does constantly do these things. He, he, he'll meet your physical needs, but he draws you closer in, in, into a deeper meaning. And a cultural difference, too, is this mean more to them where they had to go to a well to get water, not turn on a spigot in their house. For sure. And not go to King Supers to get their, you know, bread that's on sale or, you know, they had to actually make their bread the hard way. Have you ever made real, like, from scratch bread? Put it just in a bread, in a bread machine. Bread, yeah, just in a bread machine. 
We're not as cool as you, Rob. I've made my own pancakes from the pancake mix box. (laughs) Rob, are you a sourdough guy? So you you guys might appreciate this. So when I was about like eight or nine years old, I made a cake for the first time. You know, like we're at my parents' You know, my with my mom. You know, she's you know super proud of me. We, we go out to my uh, grandparents who are you know live on a farm, Darren. So this is like where they're out there, and you know they make everything from scratch out there. Mm-hmm. So my grandma, my mom's mother-in-law, then you know is there, and she's going, and my mom goes, "Hey, Rob made a cake, you know, this week." And my grandma looks at me and goes, "Oh, did you make it from scratch?" <laughs> and I go, "Absolutely, I made it just like my mom, right out of the box." <laughs> and my mom was there, just mortified because here's her mother getting uh, called yeah. out in front of the mother-in-law. Oh, but yeah. you know, so but that's good. Like the difficulty of actually making real bread, and all, and it's it's not it, it was an it's an arduous task, and it's a patient task waiting for it to rise and all that other stuff too. And getting water, it's these are it's hard work back in these days. So when there's someone mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, I can take care of this for you," that's a pretty big deal. It's like if someone said, "Hey, here's a, you know, your cupboards will never be empty again." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right. like everlasting. And, yeah, and this is the interesting exchange. You know, Jesus is like, "I'm the bread of life," and people are like, "Man, this is really hard to understand." And um, you know, you you get to this point where you know Jesus is basically saying, "Look, don't follow me because you think I'm going to give you." just food to eat every day that you can just follow me around and I'm going to give you food every time um, you're hungry. Like follow me because I'm going to give you that everlasting bread of life. Um, and, and I am what you need. I'm going to feed the spiritual hunger that you have inside of you. So it's, it's super powerful what Jesus has to say, but he, he really kind of checks the people a little bit like, Hey man, you guys, you got 20,000, you guys follow me around because I'm healing you and I'm giving you something to eat. Like don't follow me for what I, what I, give you each day follow me for who i am and and how i'm going to change your life from the inside out but what's this walking on the water right in the middle all about let's dig into that because i was hoping to cover that on sunday but i just didn't get to it uh there's just so much here it's really do its own sermon which we'll come back to at some point but um darren as we've been studying this what's what stands out to you about jesus walking on the water the I think the key to understanding this is found in chapter 6, verse 4, where John clues us in to, to the timing of this whole thing. And he says the Jewish Passover festival was near. The Passover was a celebration when they uh, remembered and reenacted the Exodus and uh, where they would, they would kill lambs, they would have bread without leaven so that it wouldn't rise. And that's all reflecting how they left Egypt really, really fast. They had to eat it with their their sandals on and their staff ready uh, to, to go. And so when they did this thing, they, they have these Exodus kind of ideas in their mind. And every, every kid, every person, every Israelite could recite some of these things just at heart um, of how when they were in Egypt and God saved them and all this kind of stuff. And so it's at the Passover where Jesus feeds a whole lot of people with bread and with fish. And then he walks on water. And there's a, there's a unique thing here with walking on top of the water because the Israelites walked through the water. So it, I, I find some, some relationships in that. Hmm. And then it's after that that, that Drew mentioned they, they find him again and they want to be fed. And in verse 30 of chapter 6, Jesus says, uh, or they asked, asked Jesus actually, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. 
Um, as it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And that's when Jesus uh, refers back to this whole Exodus wilderness episode. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. And then they say, sir, always give us this bread. We love to be fed and constantly have our physical needs met. But Jesus, using that physical desire for hunger, turns it into a a spiritual need and a spiritual desire when he says, I am the bread of life, and if you come to me, you'll never go hungry again. And so it's kind of replaying, it's drawing in all these Exodus themes of of the Passover, uh, of the water. Jesus walks on top of the water, whereas the Israelites pass through the water. Um, And then they, they want manna, they want bread, but Jesus converts that into like God was trying to sustain them physically, but he was also sustaining them spiritually during that time. So I think that's, that's kind of how all these stories in John six relate to each other. No, it's interesting to think about where the underlying theme and how they all connect. And when I know there's a point in here, I don't know where, but where Jesus also in like the teachings get tougher and kind of turns people away. Like, when is that in here? Like, as he's getting a crowd of 20, I mean, could you imagine 20,000 people following you around? Well, actually, it's right here. So mm -hmm. Jesus is, you know, he says, look, I'm the bread of life. Like, don't follow me to get what I can give you every day. But instead, you know, see me as the eternal solution to to your soul and the one that's going to give you, um, you know, the nourishment you need spiritually. And then Jesus says, basically, at this point, okay, you need to eat what I give you. And then he says this crazy statement, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what, what are we, this is crazy. And it says right then that a lot of them turn and walk away. So you have 20, who knows what the number is, right? Let's say 20,000 people following Jesus. And Jesus says, Hey guys, look, you're coming for daily bread. Let me tell you this. I will give you daily bread, but it's spiritual bread. So you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you do that, you abide in me. And they go, what? This is crazy. And a huge percentage of them turn and fall, turn and leave. And Jesus turns to his disciples, and this is really cool. So the, the huge crowd leaves. Who knows how many stay, right? They're all like, this is this teaching's too hard. We can't understand this. So they leave. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, right? The 12. And he says, Are you guys gonna go too? And Peter, this is so good. Peter looks at Jesus and goes, Jesus, where are we gonna go? You have the words of life. So Peter understood that the words of life come from Jesus and Jesus was, um, you know, not talking about this physical, you know, cannibalism. He was talking about the spiritual side and it's powerful. Uh, but yeah, it gets harder. And as Jesus begins to teach and, and, you know, these parables he teaches and the imagery he teaches, it does get harder. And that's why I think these people you see that, you know, his, his crowd, by the time Jesus dies, there's like 120 of them left, right? Got 20,000 following him now, but in the upper, you know, basically when Jesus dies, there's 120 of them, uh, ish following him around. And I think it shows you that Jesus teachings are hard, but when you, but when he, you, it's revealed to you the truth that he's speaking, it, it opens your eyes and your heart to see that he's speaking about something so much bigger than just having our basic needs met each and every day. Yeah. In, in John chapter six, 
around verse 53, Drew, you mentioned it, that Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And that's what causes people to turn away. Like that, the, the early church had accusations of cannibalism against them by by pagans and people who didn't know what was going on. Um, but they, they invited them to come see, like, no, we're not, no, that's not what it, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor, folks. It, it's a metaphor for our Savior who died for us, and we are participating in his death by eating bread as representation of how he died and drinking wine as a representation of his blood that, that cleanses our sin which was a very common thing, you know, for sacrifices back in that day. So it made total sense once those those pagans saw what they were doing and and really what it meant. But it's it's still that idea of of um the, the last supper and eating flesh and blood that turned people away. Um I find it interesting that John is the one gospel out of the four that does not uh institute the Last Supper or communion or the Eucharist, whatever we want to call it, when he's in the upper room, which is actually a massive amount of scripture in the second half of John, there's like four or five chapters where Jesus is just talking to his disciples at the Passover feast. Um, but he doesn't He doesn't do the whole, like, this is my blood poured out for you. He doesn't institute that as, as an everlasting ordinance, but he talks about that here in John chapter six. He talks about that idea of flesh and blood and still, and it's linked with the Passover feast in that, that moment. So I find it interesting that John doesn't talk about that in the upper room. And yet there's still this idea. So it's evident that John, when he was writing his gospel, which was probably well after the, the others were written, he still knows and, and put this thing in there. Yeah. And I think the imagery is really cool. You know, you, you take back and Darren, you know, you kind of talked about this a little bit, but you think back to the story we have throughout the Bible where God is continually showing us that a greater one is coming, right? So here's Moses, but Moses isn't perfect. And here's David, but David isn't perfect. And here's Abraham and Abraham isn't perfect. And then Jesus comes and he begins to fulfill all of these things that you see in the Old Testament that was failed. So Jesus, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Darren, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he succeeds where Israel failed when they wandered in the wilderness. And here we have the Exodus story where God sends Moses to do all these signs and wonders against Exodus against Egypt. Then he brings them across the Red Sea for salvation. Then he feeds them manna from heaven. And now you have Jesus. He goes and he does all these wonders on the mountain and feeds the 5,000. Then he walks on the water, just like Moses crossed the Red Sea. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. Um, And then he takes them to a place where they're asking for manna. And he says, I am the true manna. I am the true bread from heaven. And so Jesus is showing that he is the truer and better Moses. And he's fulfilling for Israel all of the places where they fell down and and messed up. And it just shows us that it, it's not about rule keeping. It's not about trying to 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 obey to the to the nth degree. No, it's about trusting what Jesus has done for us. No, it's interesting to hear all that and how it all connects. I'm always curious, like back in the when John and they were telling the stories, and did people connect this then? Like, I mean, it's just. You know, they knew this, they knew their stories, they knew their backgrounds. And, you know, as we're looking back 2000 years later, you know, did they see what we're seeing? Yeah, I think depending on the audience, they certainly did. Like Jews would have connected, oh, it's Passover. They have all these things running through their minds. And then wait, Jesus is walking on the water and he's feeding them bread and he's talking about eating and drinking stuff. That's what we do at Passover. Uh, And I I think that is all of that kind of stuff. And even later on in, in John, towards the end, um, it is inc- it is the most clear in John's gospel that Jesus is the Passover lamb. 
that he is the one who was sacrificed to save them from the the angel of death back in Exodus. And he inserts himself as as that that role. Um, that that you you paint the blood on the doorposts of your house, and and the angel of death passes over the the destroyer, capital D, whoever that figure is. Um, he is that that figure, and and then he goes to the cross, and that's essentially his coronation. Like he he's wearing a purple a purple robe, um, and a royal robe, and he he gets a crown of thorns, and he goes up on a cross, and th- there's even a a sign posted on that cross that he's the king of the Jews in all the languages that anyone spoke. Um, it's so clear in that gospel that Jesus is being coordinated as king of the world, even as he is sacrificed as the lamb that saves people. And then, of course, he's resurrected after that, which just totally defeats all evil, finally. So I love it. No, it's, it's a, I think, I think you made a good point earlier as a, like, if you read the whole thing as a, a story, there's those Bibles out there that don't compartmentalize it it might be easier to see the full story, which is always interesting to think of when he, you know, it's always that whole Sunday school, sometimes in church, it's just compartmentalize or jump around in verses. So it's, as you read our Bible, sometimes it's better just to knock out a book when you can. And that's the beauty of context. Jesus is the, you know, hearers would have understand the Passover language. We don't get it. And living in a 22, you know, 2022 um, worldview, you know, we don't have an understanding of that. And so I think being able to pull back, peel back the, the layers of the onion and start to see, no, the reason these things are communicated the way they are is because of, of the historical context and things like that. Um, now, there's something to, there, there, there's huge things for us to take away too, even without those contexts. People have been reading this for hundreds of years without the context. And um, still, there's great spiritual truths to take away, but it just enriches it even more when you see it all brought together in light. Um, so yeah, and what's funny is, you know, when anybody ever asked me, what's my favorite story in the Bible, it's this one, Jesus walking on the water. Uh, for some reason, ever since I was a little kid, I was just fascinated about that. And, you know, you see in some of the other gospel writers where Jesus is walking on the water, they think he's a ghost. Then they say, oh no, it's Jesus. And then Peter says, Jesus, command me to come out to you. And Peter steps out on the water and does it until he loses. He gets afraid and he falls in. So, you know, you could do a whole sermon series on just this one miracle. There's so much um, depth here. It's just beautiful. But I love what we're doing today of bringing it into context of how does it fit with Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then teeing up what Jesus is going to say about him being the bread of life. No, interesting thing about it. Drew, what are we talking about uh, next week? What's, what so you... ne- we're taking a quick break. Next week is we're going to do a combined Thanksgiving uh, worship experience with uh, uh, Iglesia Vida Abundante, our Spanish-speaking congregation here at Forefront. And then uh, we're going to get back the following Sunday by talking about the last miracle in the book of John, which is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, that's going to be a really fun one as it points to what he's going to do for all of us um, because of our faith in him at the end, uh, when he returns. So it, it's really great, uh, pointing forward to what he's going to do on the cross and at the empty tomb. And then what is going to happen for all of those who have said yes to him. Interesting. And then, uh, pastor Darren, is any parting thoughts before we wrap this up? I don't think so. Okay. There, pastor, there, you... There's always more to talk about. Like I love John chapter seven, but we'll stop there for now. Next week, we'll talk about John chapter 7 more. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a bonus episode later this week, Darren. We can talk about it if, if we got time. Can we do it while we're all eating chick, or eating like smoked turkey or, or fried turkey dipped in I think that's always acceptable. Gravy? Could you imagine? Just like it's hard enough not to have my sips of coffee on the microphone. Also, they're like hearing 
us chew, you know. Maybe we can watch food. the Lions game while we're, you know. No, we'll fall asleep. If that's the I'll case. be in Kansas. <laughs> Pastor Drew Tarwater, any parting thoughts before we wrap this up? Hey, everybody have an amazing Thanksgiving. Hope you guys have a great time with family and, and have a chance to um, really enjoy a little bit of a slowdown in a busy season. No, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or thoughts, you want to send them to us, send us send them to us at life at ForefrontChurch.tv. Or if you're at Forefront Church on the weekends, feel free to drop us a, a question in the connection box there in the back of the worship center. So we'd love to hear from you, hear questions you may have as well. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Rob Blasey. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.